0: All right, this Sunday is uh, the last uh, Sunday in our resurrection series that we've been uh, looking at since Easter. Uh, Because oftentimes in the church uh, that we talk about uh, the resurrection as it pertains to the past, we need to prove it, uh, that our faith really does uh, hinge on the historicity of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. It's a big deal. We should spend time on that. Uh, The church also focuses on the resurrection as it pertains to our future. Uh, that because Jesus raised from the dead, he was the first fruits. He uh, he is inaugurated the new kingdom that is coming. That everything's going to be made new. Just as Jesus' body was made new in the resurrection, so is all of creation. So are we as His church. But when you talk about what does the resurrection mean for us today? What does that what does that mean? And so that's what we've been looking at, kind of uh, topic by topic. Um, over the last six, seven weeks uh, that really what we've seen is that the resurrection is uh, the basis, is the grounds for the moral life. Uh, That as a Christian you uh, have Christ's, uh, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you to enable you to carry out what He commands. It's a glorious thing. And so tonight uh, we're going to look at the resurrection as it pertains uh, to race. Uh, So let's pray before we get started. Uh, Father in heaven, um, no amount of eloquence uh, ever changes a person's heart. It might impress a person's ears, but it doesn't change their heart. Uh, Lord, that you were unschooled and ordinary. Uh, Lord, your people were unschooled and ordinary. Lord, that uh, Paul says that he did not come with persuasive speech. And so, Lord, I, I come in the same vein. Uh, Lord, I have nothing to offer Uh, But your word, Lord, would you uh, send your spirit uh, to come together with your word and cause change and transformation uh, to happen in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. When's the last time you felt real awkward? I mean, really awkward. Uh, Yesterday, I was um, getting my car worked on at Valvoline. I love the people at Valvoline. You support local, by the way, uh, when you're at Valvoline. And um, I don't change lights in my car. Uh, because I always break things you know there's a lot of plastic involved especially when your cars are really old and the plastic dries out and then you break stuff so I'd let them break stuff and then they can fix it so anyways I'm getting tail light fixed we're getting ready to uh, be driving a lot the next few weeks so I'm getting my my brake light fixed and I pull in and I see uh, that there's a car that's kind of wonky. You know, usually you kind of pull in there, and then there's the people that are walk- working in the basement that can get, get to your car. Well, th- this person pulled in and had his tire laying in the pit, so his car was kind of tilted like this. And I'm kind of looking at what's going on here, and I see the guy open up his door, and he's got a little—he's got to kind of fight gravity to get out of his car, you know, because his car's leaning in like that. And he gets out of there, and he gets up in the guy's face and starts yelling at him. I'm like, this is your fault that it's in here. And I'm like, oh, yes, this is great. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm feeling super awkward. And, the, um, and I'm not feeling as awkward as the workers. And the workers, when they, you know, eventually this guy, he just pulls out. I mean, they get his car out, and then he just drives away. Didn't get any work done on his car. And um, said he was going to sue him. We'll see how that goes. And... Um, and, and the workers, they came when I pulled up, they were like, we are so sorry uh, for, for what you have uh, observed. And I was, I was like, no, no problem. This is good entertainment for me. Uh, they felt really awkward because they had to observe this conflict. I had to observe this conflict. And, or at Starbucks a few months ago. I'm at Starbucks. I'm doing my thing. And I see uh, this woman, I mean, literally saying every cuss word that I know to the person who made their drink. It was unbelievable. Uh, That one I did feel really awkward because it was really loud and there were probably 50 people who saw it. You know, these other awkward situations, uh, you know, watching The Office should make your skin crawl. Uh, Watching Arrested Development should make your skin crawl because what the creators of those television series have done is that they have found a way to make you feel embarrassed while you're watching TV and you're not even a part of what's going on. I read another, a story about another awkward situation uh, with John Calvin this week. John Calvin, the pastor theologian uh, back in the 1500s, uh, one of the big names uh, in church history for us, especially as Presbyterians. And uh, he pastored a church in Geneva, Switzerland. He'd been a pastor at this church for 15 years. And uh, there's a dynamic going on within his church that reflected what was going on in all of Europe. Uh, that uh, men in his church, they refer to themselves as Libertines. These Libertines uh, were practicing what everybody else was, and that they had a mistress. Uh, they were married, and they had someone else uh, that they were having relations with. And these people were in the church, and had been in the church for 15 years. And John Calvin thought, well, it's been 15 years, I guess it's time to do something about this. So, he gets together with his elders, and they excommunicate the, the, the wealthiest leading libertine within their church. Excommunicate means that they no longer can be a part of the church. They can't take communion. So, what happens is that uh, the, this wealthy guy gets all the other libertines in the church. Uh, they skip the sermon. John Calvin gets down to the sermon and uh, is standing there by the elements. And then they come barging in the back doors. And they come, they stand at the table, and they demand to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And at that point, uh, John Calvin he says these words. He says, "These hand, to the Libertines, these hands you may crush. These arms you may lop off. My life you may take. My blood is yours. You may shed it. But you shall never force me to give holy things to the profaned and dishonor the table of my God. Now imagine being a teenager sitting in the 10th row. You always sit in the 10th row with your parents. And you're a teenager and you see this take place. How awkward would you have felt? Do you just hide under the pew? Do you sneak out the back door? Super awkward. In the passage that we see today, if you were to observe the conflict that took place in Galatians chapter 2, you would have felt super awkward. It was between Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul, the two most leading apostles in the early church, the two most powerful people in the early church were Peter and Paul. If you read through the book of Acts, you would see that half the book is about Peter and half the book is about Paul. And these two guys get in a, a verbal Uh, A a verbal shouting match with one another, not in somebody's office. It's closed off, a very private argument. That's not what happened. It happened in front of the whole church. It happened at a church potluck. Everybody was having a good time. And then Peter and Paul start shouting at one another. And that's what we read about in verses 11 to 16. Let's read it together. But when Cephas, Cephas is another word for Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, I being Paul. The word of the Lord So here we are you have Peter and you've got Paul and Peter and Paul uh, find themselves in Antioch. Antioch is 500 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, so far the early church has made up almost uh, uh, almost all of them are Jewish and they're in Jerusalem but the, but the gospel begins to spread and it has spread to Antioch partly because of Peter's ministry. And when he's in the city of Antioch, it's so different than Jerusalem. Jerusalem, in, in many ways, I mean, there were some Romans running around, but there was a lot of Jewish people. But when you get up to Antioch, you would find a lot of Middle Easterners. It's 500 miles north. It's almost in Turkey. And there were, some middle, there were a lot of Middle Easterners. There were some Europeans there because the Roman Empire had spread to Antioch. And then 10% of this city was Jewish. And there were about a half million people who lived there, which was Huge back in the first century. So this is cosmopolitan, multicultural city, and Peter gets there, and people start becoming Christians. Remember, Peter's a Jew, and he begins to eat with these Gentiles. In verse 12, you see that word, eating, and the the, the tense of the verb suggests that he's been in a habit of eating meals. This wasn't a one-time thing, that he's been having these meals with Gentiles. And this is a big deal, because Peter was a Jew, And before uh, Jesus got a hold of him, uh, Peter had only ever eaten meals with other Jews. Never with the Gentiles. That was the practice. Because if Jews came in contact with other Gentiles, they would be deemed unclean. These uncircumcised Gentiles were contaminated. And then there were customs to become clean again. But this view of Gentiles had to be overcome. Peter, how how did Peter go from being a card-carrying Jew to eating meals with Gentiles? And eating meals, I mean, think about it. Eating a meal with someone is a big deal because you're in many ways saying that you accept that person. This is why Jesus was met with such severe accusations by other Jewish leaders when he ate with sinners, because he ate with them in such a way that he approved of them. So Peter had gotten to the same place as Jesus was. Peter got real used to having meals with Gentiles, with people who would be considered sinners, brother Jewish leaders. But how did this transition occur? How how did he get from this place of never eating a meal with a Gentile to uh, that being a practice, being a habit, being a pattern in his life? Well, something big happened to Peter. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 10 and 11. And this, what happened in Acts chapter 10 and 11 happened before what we read here in Galatians chapter 2. Because in Acts 10 and 11, Peter had been given direct revelation from God about a certain issue. And it was about the issue of race. It was about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church. And this revelation was a a bit strange. At least least we should think it to be strange. Because his revelation wasn't a, a big loud word from heaven that said, Peter! Let the, Jew, let the Gentiles in the church. Rather, it was a picture. And the picture was a sheet, like a sheet that goes on your bed. And on the sheet were all kinds of animals that were deemed unclean, some of these animals being reptiles, some of them being, um, some of them being birds. And this is lowered out of heaven, this sheet with all these animals on it, to Peter. And when it gets down and Peter's able to see what the animals are on it, he gets a word from heaven. And the word from heaven is, "kill." And eat. And Peter objects. No way. I'm a Jew. I'm not allowed to eat reptiles. And I'm not allowed to eat birds. It's not because he didn't like alligator stew. It's not because he didn't like fried chicken. That's not why he didn't eat it. He didn't eat it for religious reasons. And so three times this word from heaven has to come. And the word from heaven that said three times is this. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Peter gets it. It gets through his thick skull being repeated three times. this has got big implications, not just on his diet, but on the church. Not just because now the church can have alligator stew and the church can have fried chicken. Because it has something to do about people. Because God was preparing Peter, he's preparing the church to include the Gentiles into the people of God. And right after this vision happens, Peter gets this implication, and he shares the gospel with a Roman centurion. And a Roman centurion would have been the Gentile of all Gentiles. He would have been the, the the kind of Gentile that Jewish religious leaders would have hated the most. And when Peter shares the gospel with him, he receives it, and so does his whole family. They're converted. You can imagine what happens with other religious leaders and <laughs> other Jewish religious leaders are like, what in the world's going on with Peter? He's letting the Gentile of all Gentiles and his family into the people of God. And when he's challenged on this, here's what Peter says in Acts 11:17. He says, "If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way?" Huge change. See, Peter, he's this early adopter of this whole Gentile thing. He's the one who's leading the charge on the racial integration of the early church. So, of course, when he gets to Antioch, he's going to start having meals with other Gentiles. But he took a turn for the worse. Something happened to him. Something really bad happened to him. And it's not that he became a heretic, it's not that his theological convictions have now gone haywire. That's not his problem. He did have a serious problem, and that's the one that Paul confronted in his face in front of all the other people, and it was really, really awkward. Peter had gone from eating with Gentiles in Antioch to now withdrawing from them to only eat with other Jewish believers. And do you see why he did it? Look at verse 12. The reason that he, he withdrew from Gentiles and he only ate with Jewish believers was because he feared the circumcision party. Now, this isn't a political party. This is a theological party, not a party like you might have had last night. I'm talking about a group of people. The circumcision party, these are Jewish Christians. Not just Jews, Jewish Christians. And they're from Jerusalem. And they report to another apostle, whose name is James. And they've been sent up to Antioch, the 500 miles north, to make sure that the church is there, doesn't lose their Jewish norms to make sure that the church becomes sufficiently Jewish as it now moves into this new age, and Peter longs to stay in their good graces. So he changes his practice. Doesn't that sound like us? Aren't we people-fearers? Peter's the preacher of preachers. He preached at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came down on 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 the first Christians. Jesus is the one who changed his name to mean rock because he would be the foundation of the church. He's an apostle. So if Peter struggled with putting more weight on the opinions of others over the opinion of Jesus, don't you think you could do the same? Don't we compromise all the time based on what people think of us? So whose opinion do you... Place too much value in is your parents, co workers, neighbors, spouse, children, siblings. And you know when you have a problem, don't you? It's when you're duplicitous, it's when you're hypocritical. It's when who you are exists in multiple characters, and you just choose the character that fits the occasion best. And the way you pick that person is based on fearing who you're with. It's a problem. Peter fears others. But there's a solution here. Paul doesn't come up to Peter and say, Peter, you're going to hell. He points him in the right direction. He doesn't take it easy on him, but he offers a solution in the midst of him calling him out. Look at verse 14. The solution is right there. is about his conduct was out of step with the gospel. So the way that he, the solution is to get in step with the gospel. See, Peter hasn't ceased to believe the gospel in his head. He would have passed the theology exam for his ordination... All day long on this day. He knew his stuff. But somehow, something got stuck between his brain and his behavior. Because the gospel is so much more than a bunch of doctrinal statements that have to do with your salvation. The gospel is so much more than the ABCs of Christianity, it is the A to Z of Christianity. The same gospel that you believe for your salvation is the same gospel that you're going to need for your sanctification. You never graduate from gospel school. At least this side of heaven. And friends, you and I, we don't need anything besides the gospel. So growth is not about learning something new. Growth is about applying applying the same old gospel in new and fresh ways. So for Peter, his problem with the gospel is not so much doctrinal as it was application. And it was application of the gospel in regards to race. But before we start talking about the gospel, making specific application to race, I just want to get us all on the same page for defining what the gospel actually is. Here's my best shot at it. The gospel is the good news. That we as sinners are guilty and under the judgment of God, we may now be pardoned and accepted by God's sheer grace, His free, His unmerited favor. And it's on the grounds of His Son's death and not our works or merits. That's the gospel. And it get applied in every area of your life. But Paul right here in verses 15 and 16, he applies it to race. He says, look at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, he's not saying, hey, we're great and Gentiles are over there sinners. He's just saying that that was their reputation. He's just saying Jews and Gentiles, we're in the same boat here. And we know he says that we're in the same boat because verse 16 says a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He's leveling the playing field. So in no uncertain terms, what Paul is reminding Peter of is that a person is not saved by their good works. See, observing the rules of the Bible is completely ruled out as a means by which we can be accepted by God. There's an absolute distinction between salvation by works and salvation by faith. See, the reason that faith justified is that our faith takes hold of Christ and Christ is the one who makes us right with God. We're acceptable to God, not by keeping the law ourselves, but by trusting the only person who ever did. Jesus Christ. This is the way of salvation for all sinners, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. There's no distinction between them in the fact of their sin, and there is therefore no distinction between them for the means of their salvation. So if God justifies Jews and Gentiles on the same terms through faith in Christ, who are we to withhold our fellowship from someone based on their race? That's what Paul's telling Peter. what Peter needs to understand, and what you and I need to understand, is that race has nothing to do with our justification. So how dare we impose a condition upon those which God doesn't impose on them? If God receives all regardless of their race, why should we reject them? How can we withdraw from those whom God has reconciled? You might say, come on, Marsh. I'm not prejudiced. Now, my grandparents were. Back in the day, you know. I know better now. I have friends who don't look like me. I went to a diverse high school. I had someone in my wedding who didn't look like me. I don't use the N-word. I'm inclusive. Oh, yeah? Don't you think Peter could say the same thing? He could trot out one heck of a resume. He could say, you know, I'm the one who got this whole thing going when Cornelius, the centurion, was converted. Oh, yeah, I'm the one. I've eaten a ton of meals with those Gentiles. That's what I've been doing up here in Antioch for months. Paul could have, what Peter could have, when he was confronted, he could have made up some kind of excuse. He could have said, Hey, Paul, come on, take it easy. These brothers from Jerusalem are out of town. I'm just extending some hospitality. We're family. So do you find it tempting in your own soul to trot out your resume of inclusion? Do you find it tempting to be defensive for why you don't have racial tendencies? See, our problems with race, they're usually unconscious. I really don't think Peter had a clue what was going on in his soul. Until he got called out, until it got brought out into the light. And this is what sociologists call implicit biases. You've probably heard of it. It all kind of started back in the 40s. Back in the 40s, there were these two children psychologists named Kenneth and Mamie Clark. Kenneth and Mamie Clark were doing this uh, study on African-American children to measure how segregation had affected them. And so they asked black children to choose between a white doll and a brown doll. They asked these children a series of questions, and they found that they overwhelmingly preferred the white doll over the brown one. Recently, you know, fast forward 80 years, and a remake of this study was done. And they did it a little differently. They set up some white children. They set up some African-American children. And they set out not two dolls, but they set out five cartoons of little children. And the little children uh, in the far right was was a, a cartoon of a little white kid. On the far left was a cartoon of a little black kid, really dark skinned. And in between the three were just gradations, just getting, you know, darkest, darker, dark, lighter, light. That's what it was. And they began to ask the African American kids and the white kids who they preferred. And both groups preferred lighter skin. But the white kids preferred the lighter skins much more heavily than African American kids. Why was that? Well, the study's results stated this. What's really significant is that white children are learning or maintaining their stereotypes much more strongly than African-American children. Therefore, the white youngsters are even more prejudiced in their responses concerning attitudes, beliefs, and preferences than African-American children. In other words we must confront our implicit biases. We need them exposed for what they are. And what they are are out of step with the gospel. We've got to start thinking more critically about decisions we're making in regard to how we spend our time. Decisions we make about our workplace, the decision we make in raising our children, where we live. And we've got to be honest about these. We've got to be honest about our implicit, unconscious, racial biases that inform all of our decisions. It's a serious issue that's got to be addressed in our hearts and in our community. And we don't have the luxury of ignoring it. Because if we do, we're going to be out of step with the gospel. but what's really, I'm not saying anything that's really unpopular out there. But what's out there is a different treatment on how to fix it. What's out there is a different solution than what we should find in here. What's found out there is just this ethic of tolerance, this ethic of coexistence, this ethic of generic love. And it's not going to give you any power. It's going to tell you, yeah, you need to unite with those who are different from you, racially, ethnically, culturally. Yeah, yeah, you need to do that, but it's not going to give you anything real strong. It's not going to give you any real power. Because all of those places are telling you to find a power that's within yourself. What the gospel tells us is that there's no amount of moral fiber. There's no amount of education. Even being made in the image of God All of those sources will fail you miserably to maintain fellowship across ethnic, racial, and cultural lines. What we're going to need is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We're going to need something, nothing short of the power that raised Jesus from the dead to overcome our implicit prejudice, our unconscious preference for people who are like us, and our patterns of surrounding ourselves with people Who are like us, while excluding any kind of difference. It no, it seems impossible. It should, but we're in desperate straits here, friends. But remember what I told you: Acts chapter ten and eleven. Peter was quite the maverick. Remember, he's the one who started including the Gentiles into the church based on God's revelation to him, and then we see him backslide right here in Galatians chapter two. And many scholars think that the confrontation between Peter and Paul in Galatians two happens between Acts chapter eleven. In Acts chapter 15. Because in Acts chapter 15, the church has to face its first real doctrinal problem. And it comes together in this united way to make one decision. And the issue at hand was about these Gentiles. What do we do with them? Do we include them? And if we do, do we try to Jewishize them? And the answer was, absolutely not. We're going to hold by faith alone and Christ alone for them, just like we are for us. It was historic. It was a huge, huge deal. And you know who led the church in coming to that decision? Peter. The man who just weeks earlier was out of step with the gospel when he preferred Jewish Christians over Gentile ones. So if Peter can change and lead the charge, don't you think you can? Brothers and sisters, we must take this passage as God's confrontation of us. We've got to let him ask questions like, how are we elevating our personal preferences over those of our brothers and sisters? What would it look like for us to begin to include people different from us at our dinner tables? What would it look like for us as a church to be more welcoming to non-whites in our community? I'm asking these questions not to condemn us, but to highlight places where the resurrection of power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can be unleashed in us personally, in our church and our community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, your uh, that your gospel is good. That is really good news, uh, Lord. None, I, I, at least I don't. Maybe so, but most of us in here are not Jewish, and you came and you found us. And Lord, I pray that we would see our inclusion into your church. That that would open our eyes to the opportunities we have of living in this neighborhood with people that look very different than us to be a part of our fellowship. Lord, would you make our church one that reflects our community? We pray this in your name. Amen.